All right, y'all. Nerdificent is a new podcast from comedians Danny Fernandez and Ifi Wadiwe. It's a weekly deep dive into nerdy subjects that you didn't know you needed to know about. Whether it's the mind-expanding frontiers of virtual reality or the surprisingly exciting modern renaissance of tabletop games, they're going to take you from the origins into surprising future of each subject. Which is a fancy way to say they go down a bottomless Google rabbit hole and tell you about the coolest stuff they find. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. Oh, can you see by the Hey. And what's up, y'all? And welcome to another episode of Fan Bros Show, the voice of the urban geek for all nerds. The only podcast where we talk about geek culture from the perspective of people of color. And it's your boy right here in the spaceship, DJ Ben Hameen, aka Sicario Mario, Lightwork Yagami, Uncle Ben's Nice, Chris Radnorock, Big Dick Grayson Energy, Black Black Goliath, Lando Californication, Ghost in the Shell Toe, Doctor Whose Man's Is This? Keep that same energy on when you see me, Benny and the Jetsons of Wakanda Werewolf in London, amongst other things. And as always, I am joined here tonight by Jeff J, the man of few LEI, AKA Miles Morales sets, Earth, Wind, and Firestorm, Do Rags to Riches. Legion and Juice, Facts to Destroyer, Han Soul Glow, AJ Styles, Pinero, uh, Kaiser Sose, Rose, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> keep going, keep going. Emptied out the clip, clip on me, bro. Like, I was like, damn, I, I was just here. I thought this was a friendly, I thought this was a holiday edition. Nah, man, you know, we take no days off over here, even though Tatiana King is not here right now. She is somewhere on the cloud city of Bespin doing her thing, chilling with the original Lando. But me and Jeff J. (laughs) (laughs) Me and Jeff J are here in the spaceship tonight. Welcome to Fan Bro Show. Like I said before, the voice of the urban geek. Hope everyone is having a great holiday week out there. Happy 4th of July, you know, enjoy the day, blah, blah, blah. We already know all the tweets are going to be about, one, 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 you know, America, America, you know, but yeah, come on, man. Enjoy the day off. Have a good time. You know, listen to Fan Bro Show as you are doing right now, because it is, you know, Boys yeah. Urban Geek. Make sure you hit subscribe on that YouTube channel. Hit subscribe. Hit them lights. Thank you for subscribing to the YouTube channel. We've been doing this. We see the numbers going up. Our Instagram is popping right now. Thank you for all the comments on the Instagram at Fanbro Show. If you're not following or subscribed to any of these places, just type in your Google search Fanbro Show wherever it comes up. Hit subscribe. Do that right now. You know. Yeah. If you partake in any fireworks, please tread carefully. We do not want situations where you. Enter the holiday with 10 digits and leave with less than 10 digits. Or you get pulled over by the local authorities for moving fireworks across state lines for those of you that live in states that are not supposed to have fireworks. So, you know, this isn't your granddaddy's uh, 4th of July where you used to be able to go to the corner store and get all the fireworks. That was that was a simpler time, man. I remember you could go to the corner store and get one eight um, M80s. Mm, mm. And I still don't know how legal that was, but bodegas had that. 
Well, I'm out here in the city of Los Angeles right now, and it is Los Angeles when it comes to these fireworks. So I don't know <laughs> what their laws are out here, but it is going down, dog. It's been going down straight through the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, it has been cracking through the World Cup. I am really scared for you know what tomorrow is going to bring because you know it's been lit over here, folks. Yeah, like, dog, you know, well, you know, in New York, it starts early. It started on. Oh Sunday. God! If you, hear, if you hear a few cannons going off, I promise <laughs> you, I am not in a war zone. I'm not reporting from the front lines. I am in the midst of fireworks season. Yes, for real, because Brooklyn is, yeah, that's another one. Brooklyn, I feel like everywhere I've lived other than Houston, it's been crazy because D.C., it goes down. Mm. Brooklyn, it goes down. And L.A., I'm, you know, not ready for tomorrow because it is about to go down they, out they don't here. Have fireworks in Houston? No, not in the city limits. You got to go outside. If you're going to, you know, shoot off your own, you have to go outside. Uh, you can, wow. Harris County does, but not Houston proper. No, no way. Wow. That's crazy. Like I've had cops roll up on us as soon as we lit like two or three joints. Yep. Cop cars up on your ass, like, bro, what are you doing? Yeah, right, nah, right, right. Nah, uh-uh, nah, uh-uh, none of that. Like they want you not to keep that same energy on. No. Outside <laughs> city limits. Yes. Now, outside city limits in Houston, oh, we've done some crazy ass mess, but inside the city limits, nah, not at all. But speaking of the holiday weekend, it is definitely a crazy weekend. Like we said before, all kind of movies are dropping. If you're, as you should be, subscribed to YouTube, you've already seen Jeff J's review of the new Purge. What's it? The Purge? Purge. First Purge. So that's the title. Just the first Purge. Yep. Yep. Prequel to the previous three Purges that came out. Um, It's black as hell. It's like a black action thriller comedy flick. Uh, no, well, not so much comedy, but there are some jokes in there. Uh, it was fun, man. It's fun. I had a good time. Y'all check out the review. You'll get in-depth, spoiler-free. And, and yeah, you should go check it out. This is a good week of movies coming out. So when you say it's black as hell, what do you mean by that? Like, real quick, for people who haven't watched, even though oh, they should be watching. It's a very diverse cast. The subject matter that they deal with, it just feels real, like... It feels authentic, like not so much that you're you're going in to see coming to America or nothing like that. <laughs> like I'll be like that such, but it's just there's scenes where you're gonna see it and you're gonna say that's so us, and, mm. and you're gonna love in a good way. And also the one thing I, I said in the review, you could check it out for more. Is if you're a minority or if you're a working class, you kind of have an idea of how the purge started. You you probably if you probably can take a wild guess at how the purge started, and you're probably right, but they take it to another level. It, it's ill. I, I saw some reviews for the first purge, and I saw um, one dude who basically said it feels too close to the real thing. <laughs> so he had a hard time watching it. And I'm like, hmm, I, I will take two, I will take one guess as to the the ethnic makeup of the of the uh reviewer but um you know it's 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 just funny to see that it'll connect with a lot of people and um Elon Noel if you know him uh what you call it, Daniel from Insecure yo mm. star man he's a star like he he did his thing in this movie i think he's he he if he keeps going the way he's going he's next nice yeah, it's directed by Gerard McMurray, who's a brother as well. I mean, he's a brother in more ways than one. Shout out to the Qs. I think he's a member of that uh, fraternal organization. Okay. And yeah, you know, so it definitely has all that in it from what I've heard. And that's really good to hear from you, Jeff. That is hilarious because I knew when they selected this brother to direct it and the direction they're going. But 
like you said, for them to go all the way with it is, I, I might have to actually check this. I've never seen any of the other purges. It just, you know, it didn't really interest me, the whole concept behind it. That Those always struck close to home. Like, right. You, you know, you just don't let people shoot. No, I mean, I, I already know a world where people just shoot people. You right. Know? It just, it right. just so depends that we happen to be the ones usually getting shot. Right. That just, man, you 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 got it right, man. And despite the uh, despite the director's mistakes in choosing organizations, I fully support his. Uh, <laughs> I fully support his um his movie. He did a good thing. Shout out to my alphas. You already know. And it's funny, I'm wearing purple while I'm slandering. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> I guess I don't have all the room to talk. Right. <laughs> well, we're gonna have him on the show soon, so you two can debate the various, you know pros and cons of these two oh, organizations man. and which one asked to play atomic dog all the time <laughs> <laughs> i might have some preferences as a dj myself oh man yeah but there's a lot coming out this weekend like we said before also ant-man and the wasp drops you've already seen our review on youtube because once again you're subscribed you already know how we feel about it it's a great family film Definitely, you know, Marvel wins again. We all know who's going to be number one this weekend. It's going to be Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, you know, turning our attention to another movie that you might, should, I mean, not even might, you, you need to check out. I mean, this one, it's like, you know, it's, it's interesting about Sorry to Bother You, man, because, like, I had no idea what I was getting into when I saw it. We haven't really talked about it yet on the show because it's one of those films that we really can't spoil anything you know, like I, I encourage you people even not even watch the trailer. Just go in blind, but go in and see it because it's a movie that is. And it was it was pretty jarring to watch the way they edited it and, and how all those scenes came about. But yeah, it's 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 an experience. I say that like it's an experience. And I'm and, you know, God bless the people who reviewed it and put out reviews because, man, I'm still trying to process it. I mean, there's going to be theme pieces for days on it. The film is written and directed by Boots Riley. You'll hear more from him after the break where we drop this interview with Boots Riley. And it's, I really love the movie. I've only seen it once so far. I have to see it again because it's one of these films that is actually very surreal, takes very interesting ways and well in the ways it tells its story. It's not a conventional film, like you said, it by any means but it features people of color you know and we don't we rarely get to see films like this usually our films like i talk about in the interview are just based in the hood etc cetera, etc cetera. or you know now we're getting a little more sci-fi a little more comic book but to see something so surreal like something like hollywood shuffle which is one of my favorite films and okay. there's a whole lot of other films that boots mentions in this interview that you know just i'm like whoa you know i had no idea that this was what influenced you to make this movie but, you know, speaking of this and speaking of all these reviews we're dropping right here, I know, Jeff, you've gotten some flat lately on these internets about, you know, how we review films or what's going on with our reviews more, more so. Yeah, I mean, you know, people are idiots, full stop. <laughs> but, but, you know, it's, it's just funny when you give your opinion and you review stuff online, how many people... I, I, for me personally, I blame it on the blue check and let me sound like somebody with privilege for a second and, and say, you know, oh my God, the struggle of having this blue marker next to my hand and next to my handle, what riffraff doth enter my mentions when I give my opinion on said films. But yeah, man, like it's, yo, nobody, paid, 
Right. There's no payola. Nobody's getting paid. Trust me if I said if we was getting paid to give our opinions of, of these reviews, like positive opinions, I would we would not be filming from Google Hangout. But it's broadcast. Okay. Like nobody's giving their reviews. If it's one thing I pride myself on is in is integrity when it comes to these. These are my raw feelings. Uh, you know, we not I I'm not trying to give interviews and um, I mean, trying to give reviews for the sake of just going to quote unquote, see free films. Like you, our role in the community is to bridge that gap between the viewer and the artist and the creators and to keep them honest and to keep it authentic, give our opinions, give critiques because nothing is perfect and to help elevate the craft. Cause if we all just created and there was no proper critique, how do we, elevate and ascend to the next level of artistic excellence you don't because if no one is telling you that that your your shit stinks then you're going to continue to sit on the toilet thinking that it's potpourri you got to be able to accept the criticism give the criticism and be earnest in that and i think i think that's something that i do i just always find it funny and, and one thing if you ever disagree with any of us with our review do more than just drop an emoji or say <laughs> something and then slick talk so that you don't at us in your in your um on your timeline. Like I just think that's funny style. I I trust me, I made an opinion that we're in peak NBA free agency mode, we're in peak World Cup mode, and sports takes are are some of the best worst things ever on Twitter. And I made a few takes and I respect the dudes who were quote tweeting me with their opinions albeit as trash as they were, all their opinions and coming at me. And we have that dialogue out online where it's not like you, you're side talking or whatever. But long story short, main idea, Fanbro Show does not get paid for reviews, for positive reviews, <laughs> for negative reviews. If you see me with a, a new car or, or taking Lear Jets, trust me, it ain't from reviews on Fanbro Show. And if I am, if you do see me like that, Tell me from the future, what the hell did I get in myself into? Am I am I dealing things that I shouldn't be dealing? I don't know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, man, it's just it, it's I don't know how you feel as far as the struggle to review and be genuine without with the conflict of fans thinking that you're on a payroll. Mm, well, that's interesting. It's like, especially lately with Fan Bros Show, we definitely achieved a level where we're getting invited to premieres. We've been invited to certain movie sets. We've definitely got a lot more access these days. And with that access comes like where you're like, damn, I want to keep this access, man. This is nice going to these movie premieres. This is nice being on these movie sets. But at the same time, you want to keep it honest. Like we always say, this is who we are. We are always honest. You know, everyone knows us from, you know, where we came from to where we are now. You can go back and listen to it. So it's all there. It's not like we're faking now. Even with what we just talked about, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait for people to debate me about it and talk about its flaws, talk about the things they love. I haven't seen uh, the first Purge yet, but I definitely want to check it out, especially because of what Jeff just said. Sorry to bother you. I was so hyped to interview Boots, but this is real talk and true story. Like, Boots, I've been a fan of since the coup. And, you know, when I heard about Sorry to Bother You coming out, I hadn't even seen it yet. And I was just like, yo, I wish we could get him on the show. Tweeted him. Boom. He hit me back, was like, whoop, whoop, whoop. One thing led to another. You know, I interviewed him, got to see the film. I loved it. I'm still utterly confused by what I saw. I can't wait to talk about it. This is like the movie that I'm like, yo, I just need to talk about this film with people. I don't even want to read the think pieces yet. I just want to talk about it with people. I want to see it with people. And then we can talk about it. 
So, you know, we're about to go into this break right here, but we got this ill interview with Boots Riley, you know, legendary member of the coup, writer, director, creator of Sorry to Bother You, one of the, you know, most interesting films you'll probably ever see in your life. Mind-blowing stuff. It's going to take this man into another stratosphere. Interview right after the break, and we'll be back with more of this. Hi, I'm Lexi Alexander, and when I'm not writing, directing, or fight choreographing movies, then I'm listening to my favorite podcast, The Fan Bros Show. And what's up, y'all? Welcome back to this episode of Fan Bros Show. I know you've been enjoying this episode, but we're about to turn it up a little bit in here tonight because tonight on the spaceship, we have a living legend here in the house tonight, one of the founding members of the coup, a social activist, but, I mean, he's here tonight to talk about something that might be the movie of the summer. I mean, movie of the year. Forget movie of the summer. One of the illest movies that I've definitely seen I mean, in the la- in my lifetime, let's just get it right out there. The director, the writer of Sorry to Bother You is here in the spaceship. Let's all welcome Boots Riley tonight. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me up on the spaceship, for picking me up. You're welcome, sir. Thank you for joining us. You know, all it's right. a real nice spaceship. Glad to have you here tonight. All right. All right. So, you know, just a little history on yourself. Like we said, you know, you were born into a family of social activists, you know, who moved from Chicago to Detroit to Oakland. Yep. So, you know, it's like you were growing up like the black John Connor. So, you know, what was that like? <laughs> uh, I don't know. It was pretty. I, I don't know anybody else's life. So it's hard to say that that part. Um, but the way my uh, family were organizers was um, more of a community level sort of thing. So what I saw as a kid, because they were they were burnt out by the time I was eight and weren't doing the same sort of organizing but what i saw as a kid was we just had a house that everybody was always at so Mm. there are always you know parties and people gathering at the house and i only found out later that it was that they were meetings Mm. you know because uh it was just kind of the center for where folks would come and gather and I didn't know exactly what they were talking about, but the, I mean, there were parties like music is playing and people are dancing and stuff like that. But I guess that's just what the meetings ended up getting turned into. Mm. But it definitely had an influence on you because you were oh, yeah. into social activism from a young age. Oh, yeah. Well, definitely as I got older, I I knew what they had been into. So I knew that I, I didn't have a family that would be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? You know, um, and yes, so it, so that definitely influenced me. And my father, besides being involved in radical politics at different times, had been uh, in the civil rights movement before that. Um, came out of North Carolina, then was a uh, matter of fact. The connection to the movie is he moved to San Francisco and became part of the San Francisco State Strike, which in 1968, which was the strike, the student strike that created the first ethnic studies program in the United States. Mm. And uh, there he met a young uh, Danny Glover. And so Danny Glover's been a family friend for a long time. He was the last person to join up with the movie. <laughs> but 
the person I've known the longest. <laughs> All right, we'll get into that. But what is it about that Oatland that produces revolutionary people in art? It's like from the Black Panthers to now Ryan Coogler's Black Panther to Sorry to Bother You to the coup to everything. Like, what is it in Oatland that just does this? I, I think people are hungry, you know? Like, uh, I know that that um, in Oakland, we've always had kind of a somewhat inferiority complex. Like, oh, we're just as good as them. Oh, they're still in our words. They're still in our slang. They're still in our music style. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's not. And A lot uh, of times. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but the point is, is that um, there's always been this feeling that we're not getting our due. Partly because... It's technically a small town, you know, only got 400 and something thousand people there. Mm. But but um, it's not like in certain parts of the country where you have a town, then you have countryside, then another town. I mean, everything's to, together. So you have Berkeley right next to it and San Francisco right next to it and all that kind of stuff. But so there's been when, when we do in the Bay Area, when we do our music or we do any of the other art there is um there there there's a certain push to uh to 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 make something great and i think that's something that's there and it's probably in other towns that way too but we've had some access to the art some access to putting it out there but also really having this need to uh represent quote-unquote where we're from mm. okay now for some of our listeners they know you just as the director and you know writer of sorry to bother you but yeah. like i say we go back or i go back you know with your music to the coup and everything you've done since then so how do you go from writing lyrics that have been interpreted as this is a quote from your wikipedia a stomach turning example of anti-americanism disguised as highbrow intellectual expression well, first of all, that's <laughs> that's in the Wikipedia article because I put it in my bio. Nice, <laughs> nice, as you should. Uh, it was a quote from Michelle Malkin, yep. a uh, right-wing uh, commentator on Fox, mm. who also was a right-wing uh, uh, columnist. And uh, yeah, and so I was like, wow, thank you. And it was, <laughs> I mean, I loved at it. At the top of my bio. Uh, so... I mean, that's the thing is that um, the what I make is art that talks about changing things so that the the people have more uh, say so over their surroundings. Right. And, um, you know, whether you call that anti-American or not, that's up to you. But the point is, is it's for the people. What I found most interesting is that, you know, they said that it was disguised as highbrow. And now Sorry to Bother You is being, you know, lauded as one of the most highbrow films of the year. Okay. Yeah. I don't really know what highbrow I don't means, either, honestly. But, but, you know. but I think, um, the, you know, one thing that I am proud of is that I've mastered my craft uh, I mean, that doesn't mean I'm done mastering it, but that it's not, it, you know, if my art was all about just what I'm saying, nobody would be listening or watching. Mm. Um, I've been, because I've been making art for 20 something years, 
I realized that um, I realized that I had to get good at what I'm doing, you know, but it has to be coupled with the idea that someone has something to say. You have to be passionate about something other than art to make good art. If your only passion is to make good art, you're going to make some self-indulgent stuff that is garbage. And, you know, that's like someone whose passion is talking, talking to you because art is communication. So if your passion is talking and you're getting really good at your cadence and, you know, have widened your vocabulary, but you have nothing to say to me, that's going to be one of the most boring conversations I ever have had in my life. Similarly, with art, if all you want to do is impress me with how well you make art, it's going to be bullshit. And so I think what empowers me is that, and that empowers a lot of great art, is having something that's more important than the art. To want to figure out how to hone your aesthetic to get across. And so my thing is very rooted in people and story because it's about empowering people. So therefore, I... Uh, study people and try to point out things that we may not normally think about. Mm. All right. So beyond, you know, wanting to showcase that, you know, you have this mastery or you've learned this talent or the art, you know, in making this film and also the idea of, you know, making things better for other people or showing people other ways to be better. What were the other inspirations behind Sorry to Bother You or the initial inspiration when you first decided to make the film? Well, after my uh, second album, Genocide and Juice, um, I realized that I had been, I, I, I was 24 and was having a midlife crisis hmm. where I've been like, man, I've been wasting my adult life being an artist. What am I doing? You know, I had meant to do something that could change the world. And I'm just here, you know, making music and music videos. And what am I doing? And so I quit doing music. And me and some friends started an organization called the Young Comrades. And But I also needed money because before that, my m money was coming from doing music. So um, I knew from college days that I was good at telemarketing. So I did telemarketing again, um, and I could do that one day every two weeks. And because I didn't have kids yet, I, I'd make enough money so that the rest of the two weeks I could uh, we could organize. And um, but those times of doing telemarketing um, were the impetus. Of course, you sit there like, oh, there's so much about this that could be a movie. Um, and I started out. Um, just kind of thinking that I was just going to write a one location workplace comedy that I could like make with some friends and $30,000 or something like that. And as I got into writing it, like basically after I finished the first scene, I realized I was going to have to go someplace else in the story. And I also realized that the way that I've always made art is 
nothing like what normally gets done. You know, our songs, you know, while they can be categorized as hip hop because I'm rapping on it, are always like something out there. We have songs like Ass Breath Killers, which are um, is a is a song about that's that is an advertisement for these magical pills you can <laughs> take that stop you from kissing the boss's ass. And uh, you know, the, the, I uh, for me when I have a larger idea, rather than having someone say it through dialogue or having the story be like. Get it? Get the moral of the story? Here's what happened, you know. Uh, it's, I, that's, I, I need to bend and break reality so that those, that, that changing of reality gets you to think about um, what your reality actually is. And so that's the impetus for a lot of the strange things that happen in the movie. Okay, when you were writing the film and when you were getting to the process of creating it, did you ever get scared? Did you, you know, what kept you going while you were in this process of making this movie? Um, the only thing I was scared of was being broke. But I was already broke and have been broke for a long time. So I had nothing to lose. However... Um, the I, I didn't make this to be like, I want to be any kind of filmmaker. I just want to make a film. And what's the film that I could do? Like, you know, can I make a heist film that everyone would, you know, be down to put money in for? I wasn't trying to do that. I was trying to, I wanted, I had ideas and around aesthetic, around story, around theme, and around making a great piece of art that has a place in cultural um, conversation. And I wanted to do that. So that locked me in to doing my own ideas. There was no, I, I didn't get scared because I knew that the things that I wanted to do were things that most people would think don't work. So I'm already past that. So there's nothing for me to be like, is this okay? Is that, you know, like I I had to, uh, you know, um, so I wasn't scared of that. I already just assumed it would be hard to get people behind it because it was something new and different. When, when you're writing something that's obviously so personal to you and then you're releasing it to a mainstream audience, how does, you know, how do you get over that part of it? Um, well, all of my, all of my stuff is very personal and mm -hmm. I release it to, yep. you know, a, an audience. So, um, the idea that my work can get out to more people is exciting and seeing the reactions that people have had from screenings and, um, and seeing them like try to figure out certain things and connect certain dots and, um, be, um, everything from uh, tickled to shocked to inspired um, is a very satisfying um, experience. Artistically satisfying. 
I think the film does all that. I think it's inspiring. I think it'll make you laugh. I think it'll definitely have you questioning things about what's going on and why this is being used. And that's something that we don't really often see, especially in black, or I don't want to say black cinema, but in films that feature African-Americans. We don't often see um, farce and, you know, like the uh, surrealistic things and just very weird tales. You know, our tales are often, you know, in the hood, you know, and this and that. And then even though this film, you know, has characters who are in the hood and stuff, it takes turns where it goes to these extreme places and what were some of your inspirations both visually and like film wise as a director for this i mean uh visually i mean so a lot of my inspiration started from wanting to make something that felt like a novel as opposed to another movie like there are things like like tony morrison uh books or or uh salman rushdie where it feels like you feel bombarded with all this sweet syrupy detail i might have hit that right there uh and you, you you feel immersed in this world and so from that i was trying to figure out what a visual representation of that feeling would be and um i it made me go towards the aesthetic of what we call a beautiful clutter to the film. So I wanted that to be in the shot, like for instance, his bedroom, right? Um, Cassius's bedroom is just full of all of these little details that, that uh, hopefully feel cluttered but not claustrophobic. And that's also the way we cut the movie. You know, and uh, so I so I had that. But then there were also other other things that inspired me from, you know, paintings and photographs here and there to folks like uh, uh, to, to on some of the wide shots be like Sergei Parajanov and uh, like um, Color of Pomegranates, films like that or. um going along the kind of chaos and clutter sort of thing. Um, films like Emir Costa Rica's Black Cat, White Cat, or, um, or uh, you know, for some of the stuff that kind of felt more theatrical moving sort of things. Like there's a film uh, uh, by Paul Schrader called Mishima, and he has these segments in there that do that. So... A, real big mishmash of things filtered through um, me kind of not necessarily knowing how to make those things happen and uh, and doing my version of it because that's all I know how to do. And that's like kind of with my music. Like when, when I first started out in music, I really wanted to sound just like Ice Cube. <laughs> wow. Like it would be, I, it was... Uh, that was my goal and I would get mad because I would hear other songs by other people and I'd be like man they could sound just like Ice Cube how come I can't like they sound exactly like Ice Cube why can't I sound like Ice Cube and I play it to my friends like do I sound doesn't this sound like Ice Cube they were like no it, it sounds nothing like Ice Cube and um and lucky for me I didn't know how to do that 
lucky for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it and and so then that kind of developed into my own style. So all of these, there's there's a you know a lot of different influences. You know from you know Gondry to uh, uh, Spike Jones to mm-hmm. to Charlie Kaufman to uh, you know Kubrick so those are like some of the more known mm-hmm. ones but I also you know like kind of taking from like early on when we were producing music you kind of dig in the crates mm-hmm. and so you know movie there there just like any art there's a lot of bad art and there's a lot of movies that just not weren't necessarily bad but just didn't work but there are parts of them that really did work and so I look for those because often those were things that um weren't necessarily tried a lot more because it's associated with something that didn't work you know something else in the scene wasn't working or whatever and and so um i look for things that were really cool that i hadn't seen before and so um and so yeah um that that kind of um, may gave me a lot to work with in order to kind of try to represent some emotions that weren't there. The other thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to bring the audience through a similar emotional journey that our main character was going through. Mm. So I tried to do things visually that made you have the feeling that comes when you find out new ideas, when you when you come upon something new that makes you look at the world differently, and you know, and so this happens in the film uh, more than once and <laughs> several times and uh, yeah, and and I, so I didn't want to just show that Cassius is going through this. I wanted to that what guided the story and guided it visually was making the audience feel that similar thing i think you accomplished that very well i think the film definitely when these moments happen they are shocking they are like wow okay we're going there and you're dealing with it like you said at the same time the cash is dealing with it so you're in his shoes damn near and then even right up to the ending of the film you know before the whole last but even just the resolution of everything you feel okay it's like you took the journey with him yeah so I think you got that. But I want to go back a little bit because you were talking about how when you stop rhyming at one point and then like with this film and stuff, do you ever feel that you face, um, well, we, we talk about this on the show a lot, imposter syndrome. Like, do you feel that and when you were talking about you wanted to be like Ice Cube, but, you know, you're boots, you know, like a lot of people wanted to be like boots growing up. <laughs> so did you ever or do you still feel like you're like not worthy of, of this or do you fight with that? I, it hasn't been for a while. I admit that it, you know, was there at first. I mean, so for instance, along that same Ice Cube line, like I think he knew I was a fan, and so we'd come down to L.A. to promote, and every now and then I'd see him, and he'd be like, "Boots, come over here," and then I, I just wouldn't open my mouth because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want him to know I wasn't hard. So, but you were practicing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I would just be like, you know, yeah, man, hey, what's up? And then I wouldn't wouldn't say anything yeah um and then uh but no i i i realized over all of this time that 
there are different people that have ideas on how you should do things and how things work. And some of them are right, some of them are wrong. But the reality is, is that nobody knows what they're doing. We're all trying to figure out the best way to communicate things. And, and, and it is at that time when people get stuck in the when people when people decide they know exactly how it is, how it works and they've got the formula. That's the art that you probably don't want to see, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, that that uh, hunger to figure out new ways to touch people is something that nobody can have a mastery of. And, and it may work amazingly well, but that doesn't mean that they knew exactly, you know, what would work, you know, that they knew that, I mean, we're trying stuff out here and, um, and, you know, experience allows you to do things, um, and hone it and get better at it. But, um, yes, that, that feeling of, of, not being able to do what other people are doing is a good feeling to have as an artist. It means that you might, that, that you can use that to do something else. Um, some people unfortunately use that to figure out how to do what other people are doing. And, um, those are the people that I mean that, that can go two ways sometimes those folks that figured out how to do what other people are doing um, they become more famous than the original folks that did it um, so I won't say that there aren't benefits to it but um, the uh, yeah so I, I I don't have that one one thing that comes up is like with this movie um, is I was talking to the cast and um, we we were at something. It might have been Sundance or South By. And um, people were congratulating me on the movie. And I was kind of, you know, I I was measured about my responses to it. And, you know, I think uh, Stephen Yun was like, what's going on? Man, aren't you happy? And I was like, yeah, I just, you know, it's funny when people talk about how great or genius the movie is or whatever because I don't really know how I did it (laughs) you know like like I know what I did and I can see because we edited the movie I can I edited the parts out that didn't work and I you know presented the the best version of this movie I could make um but I think that's like what it is. Is like you, you're in it, and you're tr- you you have a larger vision of the thing you want to do. But that vision changes once you're there in the weeds. Once you're making, you know, you 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 change that. Oh, we have this actor instead of that actor. This is how now the story is working, and then this, you know happy accident happens and that's really great or you lose this other location that would have you thought would have made the movie way better nobody knows that so you go with the one that you have and um 
it's it's all um it you know it's it's hard to put a rule on it so that feeling that some that that imposter feeling is probably something that all great artists have and so you use it as fuel whenever it does come up it doesn't come up as much anymore Mm because i've you know um i've been doing it for 20 something years uh i i i understand that um we're all just out here doing our own thing and um you know there think there you know there may be songs for instance that i'm like wow everybody likes that i know i can't oh, I, I can't do that mm-hmm. and i'm not worried about it because often it's because i think it's weak yeah. like i don't want to do that mm-hmm. you know yeah um and if somebody told me that's the only way you could make a song that people liked i'd be uh you know at a loss you know because i i would have to you know i wouldn't be the person that would try to do that similarly with with movies you know like there are um things that that i just won't do and uh you know i don't need to try to be like someone else anymore Back to this movie, and like you know, you have people like Lakeith and Tessa Thompson, and I mean even Danny Glover, who you said came on last. Like, what was the casting process like? You know, when you were getting these people. Um. Well, you know, started with the actually the first person, first people that came on were David Cross and Patton Oswalt. Okay. Um, and but that was years before, because they they read it, they were. Like, let's do it. But, you know, mm-hmm. they didn't know how to help me get a movie made or yeah. whatever. But it did, them being on board, made people read the script um, because it at least said it's probably funny, you know, by having them connected to it. Um, but after that, then the first person that I cast from the actors we see on screen are, uh, was Lakeith and with any lead act with 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 every actor that you cast it changes the movie just in your head what's playing in your head changes and it guides a lot of you know other choices and so um when i met with lakeith he was it was just clear how crazy he was so he is who he is. Yeah. And, I, you know, at this point, he wasn't the Lakeith Stanfield yeah, that he obviously. is now. Like a Nor couple, was Tessa. Yeah. A, a couple uh, episodes of Atlanta had come out, um, but it wasn't the hit that it became. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, it, you know, meeting with him, it was just about, like, who is the, um, you know, who can bring that vulnerability? Who can bring uh, something real to it? And it was clear that he was hungry not to get famous, but hungry to become a better actor, mm. to always be getting better. And uh, 
and that he was very aware and observant of people and humanity and how that worked and uh you know and and i knew he was crazy because at the time in the script there is a uh a scene that's a full frontal nude scene for cassius and and uh and i was like and it's it's a non-sexual scene and i was like look we need this this is a deal breaker you know like we have to have this scene because we need to see cassius at his most vulnerable Mm -hmm. and uh he was like i've been waiting for a movie with full frontal nudity (laughs) and and uh so but once we did start shooting uh a couple scenes needed to get cut and it was only a couple that needed to get cut we had we, we ended up with 61 uh locations and 28 days to shoot it and um but a couple scenes needed to get cut and that was a scene that could get cut because as we were going i realized we didn't need that nude scene for lakeith stanfield to seem vulnerable Mm. because it's all in his face all the time you feel that moment happening then um uh tessa came on board and um i was a little wary of her because she was a bigger star than lakeith was um like more well known and you know like for me as a director um a new director i was a little worried about like that she already has an image and you know like what how do i deal with that those sorts of things and i was also told I guess wrongly that she was offer only that you make her the offer or you don't. And, um, but we had been doing, uh, chemistry reads for the character of Detroit. Um, because I thought that besides the person playing Cassius, that the next thing that was important wasn't just who plays Detroit, but, their chemistry together that of of Cassius and Detroit. So we did all these these uh, chemistry reads, of which many of them were amazing. And um, I thought, well, okay, Tessa's not going to do a chemistry read. I have to know what that's what what that relationship, that chemistry is all about, or else I I'm not casting the person. And then um, so I put that out there, and she was like. Yeah, I'll do a chemistry read. But she was in upstate New York and couldn't get out of this shoot. And uh, and and Keith was in L.A. and I was in Oakland. And so we did it over three-way Skype. And so I was thinking, okay, no way for this to work out well because it's over Skype. And we have all these other chem- chemistry reads. The other ones are going to be better. But over Skype you know just seeing each other on uh on screen there was so much fire in that chemistry read that i was like no this is this is it and and obviously we know her talent separately from the chemistry with uh with uh lakeith um but so i saw what i needed to there i also 
um, you know, Tessa is someone that's that's a consummate professional when it comes to to acting and um, can adjust on a dime um, to feel what needs to happen on the scene and um, with all of the actors there was constant um, communication beforehand hours and hours of talking on the phone uh, meeting up uh, there weren't any full reads or full rehearsals but there was that and then on the set too like we were we were constantly like having meetings like over to the side about not just you know what the scene is but what these folks are feeling at this point and just where in the story we are where in the world we are and you know kind of sometimes there would be debates sometimes I would ask them you know you know, where's Cassius right now? What is, what, what is he going through? Where's Detroit? What is she going through? What do you think, you know? And, and the scene sometimes would change based on these conversations. Um, Steven Yeun, um, uh, met with him. He got me drunk and high and I was like, you got the part. (laughs) And, um, no, he was a no brainer. But he got me drunk and high, so that was he already had the part. He didn't know he had to do that. Um, uh, uh, who else? Uh, Army is an amazing actor, um, and his part is just yeah, too much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he he is somebody that is very dialogue oriented. He is someone that goes over the dialogue with a with a fine tooth comb, and will ask all sorts of questions about it. Like, and then can I ch- change this and to also can I you know mm-hmm. um, can I and, and and that gets him in. That's his way in. That gets him in. Or not? I I can't say that. That's that's just my experience yeah. with it. You know, there's other things going on there, but. Um, um, then Jermaine was uh, yeah, it's like the only comedian uh, in it. You know, like he does stand up, and uh, he did an audition that was like his girlfriend was reading the script, and she was all monotone, and her, you know, <laughs> she was all monotone and didn't know that there were things called periods and commas, and it was terrible. And but he shined through in it and he really felt like somebody from Oakland. And uh, and I was like, I ended up Skyping with him and being like, "Okay, that was a terrible audition. (laughs) I mean, you did well, but you might not want to have her reading. She's not getting the part. (laughs) (laughs) We already cast the tree. And. And yeah, he he brought a lot of great energy to the set and um you know he's a comedian so he fires off the one-liners uh some of them made it in some of them didn't and uh but he 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 brought a much needed uh energy 
there. And, and, and also for him, like, the only note he needed that changed everything for him was, I was like, dude, don't make anybody laugh. And that's hard because he does, <laughs> I mean, he does it, you know, without even trying. Have yeah, I knew sure. he's going to yep. anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, you don't, that's not your job here. Yeah. You know, and, um, but it, it it's going to happen anyway. But, uh, and uh, then, uh, yeah, I mean, I could talk about every, Omari, a lot of people think he's extra hard because they see him on power, but he's this soft, cuddly, spoken word dude that will, you know, um, you know, tell you he loves you too much, you know, and um, he's, you know, and people don't realize how much, they're like, wow, that's such, so different. I wouldn't have expected him to play that role, but that's because people are thinking that his role on power has it's, something to do with his real life, but he's an actor. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's when you're playing the role so well. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, uh, yeah. Uh, Terry Crews that yeah, I, I met with him. Uh, you know, I talked to him over the phone. He was hyped. Uh, he, uh, I met with him for coffee. Like the, when he got into town to, you know, before we started shooting and um i had a two-hour conversation with him i probably got in four words um and he told me his life story in the middle of this inspirational motivational speech and i got up from there and i was ready to build a house um, (laughs) go work out and uh start a pyramid scheme and that's how he talks all the time, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, yeah, all of these f- folks. Uh, Danny, Danny Glover is uh, amazing. He really, you know, put a lot of care into what he did. And I think a lot of people feel like this is a role that he doesn't normally play. For me, it's more like the Danny Glover that I know <laughs> in, yeah. in real life. That's what's so great about it, I feel. Because it's like... <laughs> It, it feels like this is the Danny that, you know, Danny has been wanting to show on screen his whole life and yeah. never got a chance to show. And, uh, but yeah, he was the last person to come on board because your friend's son is saying they got a script. Yeah. And you're Danny Glover. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, how real is it? And and once I showed him that it was real, then he was down. Now, uh, real quick, going back to, like you said before, there's so many little things. I mean, from the scene in the office with the copier and the pages behind him to Tessa Thompson's earrings in every scene to uh, Lakeith's, his coke, inspi- his coke head wound, shall mm-hmm. we call it. Was that inspired by Afro Samurai? No. Uh-uh. That was just a very coincidental a very uh, thing. coincidental thing. Yeah, yeah 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 are you ready for the cosplays as lakeith because new york comic-con is going to be filled yeah. <laughs> with people dressed up as lakeith yeah, right it's, now it's all they're already starting to cosplay like, yeah there's people online cosplaying stuff from just seeing the trailer there it is i think you i'm hoping they'll, that they'll, they'll cosplay you know uh detroit uh, tessa's detroit they'll probably cosplay uh mr blank which is uh omari's character is mr and then seven underscores so um and that's never revealed either yeah well the thing is is that if if uh you if you reveal it you might die so that's why uh i can't 
do it. That's why we had to bleep it out. <laughs> all right. So after all this, after you know you finish this journey with Sorry to Bother You and everything, what's next for you in the film space? Um, more writing, more stuff. I got 20 years of ideas um, saved up. Probably 40 to 50% of them are good. And so I got a lot of work to do. Nice. All right. Well, you survived the interview segment of Fanbro Show. And real quick, we have our brap segment, our rapid fire questions. Oh, shit. <laughs> it's not over I've never yet. listened to the show. <laughs> it's okay. So um, I haven't listened to many shows. There so, we go. Because I, if I do, I get addicted to stuff. So I don't want to get addicted to podcasts. Well, you should get addicted. I'll listen to this one. Please do, sir. But right now, you know, like we said, you're in the brap segment, the rapid fire questions. All right. All right. So number one, the Falcon or War Machine? Falcon. Fuck the police. <laughs> there you go. Luke. Well, actually, all superheroes are police. Oh, well, the rest of these might be a little difficult then. <laughs> um, Luke Cage or Black Panther? Uh, let me see. Mike Coulter is a friend of mine, and so is Ryan Coogler. There we go. Um, so, um, yeah. It's, it, you know. Black Panther would, I'll just say as a movie, was the best superhero movie I've seen. That being said, superheroes are cops. Fuck the police. <laughs> this is a little different than The Wire or Breaking Bad. Um, I actually have only seen one season of The Wire. Okay. And I've seen all of Breaking Bad. So, yeah. Um, maybe I should say The Wire because I, that's something that I want to see. There but. you go. And, you know, Breaking Bad doesn't have any. Well, it has police in it too. Fuck Hank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see, Superman or Batman? Even though they're both police. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, here's the thing: is that if Batman wants, or if Superman wants to stop crime, then they got to stop the reasoning for crime. Mm. And the reasoning for crime is that capitalism must have unemployment to exist. If you have full employment, then people can have whatever wages they want, which is why publications like the Wall Street Journal and other ones, they, they worry when the unemployment rate goes down because that means stocks go down because wages go up. Capitalism must have an army of unemployed people that allows you to be scared of losing your job. If you have unemployed people, you have unemployed people that also need to eat. People need to eat. They're going to figure out an illegal business to be part of. So. If Batman and Superman really wanted to stop, quote unquote, crime, then they would be part of changing the system. But because and they're smart enough to know this. Yep. So what it is is that they like crime and they like beating up poor people. We've often talked about on the show that Batman's part of the 1% because he's a rich dude who well, could fix yeah. things and he doesn't. You all know, of them are. Pretty much. I mean, they're not all part of 1%, but they're all working on the same on the behalf of the same folks. Okay. Wakanda or Zamunda? Zamunda. 
<laughs> Fresh. Just because that's from a certain point in my life, and I think more people need to see that movie that haven't seen it. Man, um, there, there is, you know. I mean, if if you haven't seen Coming to America, there's something wrong with your life right now. That's yeah. you know, that's a problem you need to fix right now. Uh, Fresh Prince or Martin? Martin. Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, so this goes to a story. Check this out. <laughs> All right. Um. Uh. So, I I was reading this in a in a uh book called The Conversations that's Michael Ondaatje talking to Walter Murch who edited a lot of the old zoetrope stuff mm. and kind of they a bunch of them a bunch of them George Lucas mm-hmm. uh, Francis Ford Coppola him and f- bunch of them moved from LA up to the Bay Area yep. in the early 70s with the idea that they were going to make a radical film collective mm-hmm. right politically radical film collective um, they needed money, so they started doing gangster movies and uh, nostalgia stuff. Yep. And uh, <laughs> and, and uh, but after American Graffiti, um, George Lucas wanted to do the movie that he had been for years saying he was going to do, which was Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. This is George Lucas. Yep. And he, it may be since everybody is film bus, they may know this story already. But his version of Apocalypse Now was much more radical than what became Francis Ford Coppola's version. His version was that the protagonists were the Viet Cong mm. and the the bad guys were the U.S. And that they were going to, because it's all based on Heart of Darkness, mm-hmm. um, go to find their version of Kurt, Kurtz inside the U.S. behind U.S. lines and their version of Kurtz was somebody from the Viet Cong who was previously revolutionary and had joined that other side and kind of became one of their became one of their leaders there. Uh, He couldn't get it funded and he was trying to figure out why I just made a hit movie and everybody was like politics are too radical. Nobody's going to fund this. And he was like, "Okay, I'm going to do a science fiction version of it that was what star became star wars and so in the original movie the rebels are the Viet Cong, the empire is the u.s and uh the uh and and darth vader is their version of kurtz and uh anyway that shows you that you can make a science fiction movie that becomes the biggest movie the world has ever known and have something political to say, and it can mean absolutely nothing. <laughs> you can still sell a lot of toys, though. <laughs> and it doesn't get across the message. It doesn't empower people. It do- I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, which is why, although I love sci-fi, obviously, um, I wanted to make my movie more in the real world. Same thing with Star Trek. Star Trek, they live in a socialist society. Did it matter to the culture that everybody was list- was in? You know, did it affect it or not? Like, a lot of times, uh, people with something to say hide so deep in science fiction that it really doesn't have, doesn't make a dent on the people that are watching it. Um, so 
tie for Star Trek and Star Wars. <laughs> it's also though that also that these things can make you know they they might not make the the vast change that we would like to see instantly. Mm-hmm. Like I've been arguing with people lately that Black Panther to me is one of the most revolutionary films I've seen, mm. and people are like, "Well, you know." Look outside, things didn't change. I'm like, bro, this is not, revolution doesn't happen overnight. And revolution, the biggest revolutions are usually started by one person. So it's that, you know, the spark that starts to flame is what, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we're concerned with. Yeah. But. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll watch it again with that in mind. <laughs> I, like I said, it's the best, uh, Black Panther, I think, is the best superhero movie mm-hmm. I've seen. Okay. On that note, what's your favorite Wesley Snipes movie? Blade. Uh, what else? Um, uh, Mo Better Blues. I guess I have to pick one. One time I was uh in New York, like this has to be late nineties, early two thousands, and I was just coming out of a club, and I seen this dude just walking down the street, flanked by two other dudes, walking down the street, just smoking a big ass joint. <laughs> And um, get closer. I was like, that's Wesley Snipes. <laughs> and this is New York, you know, 15 years ago, smoking a joint, like, and put that, that, nah. that you know, it's like, you know, he's like, hey, is it women up in there? That's all he said to me. I said, <laughs> I'm sure wherever you go, there's women up in there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> That's like when I met Derek Angeletti and he told me that he made a song with my name in it. I was like, no shit. All about the Benjamins, bro. I, I think I've heard it before. <laughs> All right. In any medium, books, TV, film, whatever, what character's death hurt you the most? Mm. This is something I should have an answer for because I know there's been times when I've just been mad at the the movie mm-hmm. um, because like why did you bring me through all that? <laughs> um, I'm drawing a blank, but I I know that that I hate that like I hate like when a movie can make me cry because of something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just I'm I'm losing it right now i can't i can't remember yeah all right come back to that and then if you could have any one superpower what would it be um let's see uh i mean flying is easy everyone makes things a lot easier than save a lot of money on promoting this movie (laughs) (laughs) so there you go (laughs) i mean there you go all right well thank you brutes you survived the brap segment you survived the fan bro show interview (laughs) please let everyone out there know where they can find you at uh you know i'm look for boots riley online boots riley twitter that's what i am b-o-o-t-s-r-i-l-e-y uh instagram facebook um i think that's all i'm on i'm on those things so they they can find me there uh we also have a, a the, the coup did the uh soundtrack to oh the movie. nice so and we have the soundtrack coming yep. out this summer as well so they can probably find us on spotify or wherever you 
buy fine music stream whatever y'all do these days yeah. right alright and with that we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Fan Bro Show Anyway, okay, cool. Hey, I'm Letitia Wright, and when I'm not the princess of Wakanda or MC battling people as MC baby underbite, I am listening to Fan And welcome back, fan bros. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Boots Riley. Thank you for joining us for that interview. I mean, I know you enjoyed it. It was incredible. You know, I mean, it's fan bro show. What else do you expect on this show? Nothing but the best, you know, all the greatness every week. Make sure you're subscribed, fan bro show, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Twitch, everywhere you can find us. Hit us up. Follow me on Twitter at DJ Ben Amin, as well as Jeff J says, you know, he got that blue check by his name. He's easy to find, verified all that good stuff. Man, I am not my check. <laughs> I am not my check. Yo, I said keep that same energy on today, and somebody turned their Twitter handle to that. I'm like, wow, you know, I, I, I see the influence. I, I, you know, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Oh, that's good. You got to start putting TM at the end of your joints, though. I mean, for real. Got to start trademarking these tweets yep. out here. <laughs> got to do it. But as always, folks, thank you for sending in your questions. You know, we have this little segment on the show we like to call The Guac is Extra. The Geekwently Asked Questions, the guac is extra, where we answer any and everything from all of our listeners out there. You can hit us up on email, contact at fanbros.com, or on a Twitter or Instagram, at Show. And tonight, first up, we have from Harley Quinney. Hey, what's up? Since we are in the season of festivals and parades, which superheroes do you think have a hidden musical talent? And who would headline a super that summer tour? Kate thanks. Your friendly neighborhood, Val Gary Washington. That's not bad. <laughs> no, no. They said they tried, but I actually really, really appreciate that one. Val Gary Washington. I'm not mad. I am not upset at all. Not upset at all. So who would have a secret musical talent amongst superheroes? I mean, that it for me it's so easy. So I'm I'm gonna let you know, Jeff hit this one off first um a secret musical talent i would say that's a good that's a good freaking question mm-hmm. i'd say i think i wouldn't be surprised if deathstroke was a classic pianist mm. because he's so precise he's such a uh like the way his his power sets are where he's the, almost the perfect assassin and always has a plan and strategy. I feel like his mind and his skills are on that level of savant where he can just be playing the playing the playing the piano and skipping all the different sections and leading an orchestra. So I wouldn't be surprised if he could play the piano. Hmm. All right. Well, let's see. Damn, that, that's actually a really good one. I really like that because especially because Destro's like a older and he's like a culture gentleman when he's not you know sleeping with teenage girls. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, shout out to R. Kelly. You know, (laughs) I mean, they both play piano too. Look at that. (laughs) It all goes together. But, um, yeah, I was going to say somebody, you know, easily would be people like Prodigy 
from the Young Avengers and of X-Men fame because he absorbs so many talents. Taskmaster is another one who obviously could probably play any instrument. I mean, he could probably be like, you know, a monster instead of being a criminal because he could watch videos of anybody ever and learn how to play like them. And I mean, come on, if you could play guitar like Prince, you know, drums like Phil Collins or like Clive Stubblefield for real, you know, get some James Brown funk on it. It's over, like over. And then, but the easy one I was going to say is shout out to the Wicked and the Divine. You see the books behind me is because all of the people in that book are pretty much musical artists already. So that's like the easy one for me. But that uh, really is a good question, though. No, nah, I dug that question for real. Yeah, I really did. Thank you for that one. And, you know, shout out to Val Carey Washington because I F with that. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> what else do we have up here tonight, Jeff? Uh, this one is from Childress J. Settle a debate for me. Who's the worst fictional father, Goku or Odin? Wow. This this one. Oh, That's this, a good one. I, I think it's pretty simple for me, man. I think it's Odin because... It implies, if you say worse, it Im I think intent is the difference. Mm -hmm. Goku literally just be dying. <laughs> so Goku just be dead, man. He 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 is <laughs> a light deadbeat in life just because all he wants to do is train and be the best. But he is there for his sons and he brings his sons to train and he provides for them. And, you know, he leaves all the lifting to Chi-Chi because Chi-Chi is the only... <laughs> what Chi-Chi says goes, so he's not even trying to mess with her. But, um, you know, you think about Odin. Odin was raping and sleeping with... Everything. Uh, everything and moving and creating half-gods all over the place. The amount of spite that he has, it is, uh, uh, it is, it is hard... I'm actually I'm wilding. I'm thinking I, I'm conflating Odin with Zeus, but they all. Oh, no, no, no. What are you talking about? Oh no, they're both the same. No, no. Yeah, trust me. On so yeah. I, I conflated that a bit. But even if you look at Odin from from Marvel, like this dude, this dude hid a whole realm. No, no, no. This you dude are hiding a realm. This dude hid a whole ass daughter and then what? died and was like, "Yo, before I die, though, she's gonna try and kill you." Right. You know, like, come on. And trash. then, yeah. and then <coughs> yo, and, and not for nothing, Anthony Hopkins between between Odin and Ford on Westworld, he plays some legit omnipotent deadbeats, bro. Creations <laughs> to, to fend for themselves. But yeah, Goku, Goku has been there for his children way more than Odin. I would say in a vacuum, I, I would definitely side with Goku. Well, Goku is a classic deadbeat, but mm. he ain't worse than Odin. I, at least yeah. I, I, I really like this question too, though. And um, I think I got to raise it one and throw in Rick Grimes into the, you know, wow. yeah, wow. As, as a contender because wow. Rick Grimes is, cool. I mean, not, yeah, not always through his own fault, but especially in the TV show. I mean, the TV show, he is trash. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, R.P. Carl, you know, but, you know, you know, even when he was alive, he didn't really do much by him. So, yeah, I got to throw Rick Grimes. Um, any other deadbeat dads that you would like to throw into the, you know, into the ring? Does Magneto count? I don't think Ooh. Magneto's a deadbeat, but he, his parenting is very so-so. Very, very so-so. Very come see, come saw. Like, yeah. yeah, Magneto. Magneto. I would. I would throw in uh, my dark horse would be Hank Pym, 
Because how the how the hell did Ultron turn out the way he did? <laughs> gotta gotta blame to the father. Gotta blame to the father, sins of the son, and whatever that uh, saying is. But mm, that's a dark horse. Paint Pim. That's a good one. Another good one. I really like the Magneto pick right there. That's another good pick. Ah, good one. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Not of, many like living dads. That's the other problem, you right. know, is that there's a lot of dead dads, so they're already dead beats in one way. But uh, right. um, yeah, I mean, you could argue that Batman as a as a as a guardian. Ooh, hey, ooh, you can make you can. Ooh, once again, I, 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 I hate this man. But Two weeks of Batman slander. Let, let's let's talk to Jason Todd and let's ask him how how he is as a father figure. I mean, mm. but but I think Batman has done enough. Or Bruce Wayne has done enough. It's just those slip ups. They're pretty major. <laughs> but uh, I would say that's why I say he's a dark horse. He's a dark horse. Um, who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? This is a good question. I I really like the, the question. You could think of a lot of of deadbeats or whatever the case may be. So. Oh, I was about to give one away. Oh, but I can't. I, I cannot give. Um, There's just several in Invincible. Let me put it like that. Ah. Yeah, yeah. there are several throughout the course of that series. And, oh. then, and then a lot of change-ups and a lot of switch-ups, and that's why I love Invincible. So, yeah. Um, ooh, yeah, I almost gave another way. Let, let's get off this one before right, I give right, away right, <laughs> some, right. some really good... Yeah, really good current comics that I'm reading right now. But that is definitely a great question. Uh, that's it for tonight. If you have any more questions, as always, send them in to contact at fanbros.com or you can hit us on the Twitter at fanbros show. But, you know, before we get out of here tonight, we can't leave you without this because we got some super big news. We've been talking about this for a while, but we can just leak a little bit of it right now in this next segment that we like to call Comic Psychopt, which always feels so weird doing that without the, you know, effect on my voice. I need a button to push, so I'm not sitting here on video like going. You got to auto tune your your mic, bro. Yeah, for real. I need something. Need to you know hit that switch. But anyway, comics I top copped. Comics I copped. We talk about all the comics that we copped this week that we've been reading this week. Make sure you use that hashtag on Twitter on Instagram. That's comics I copped. Copped with two Ps. Get it right. Get it tight. But this week, you know, we were just slandering Batman. So I got to go back. I picked up, I went into a comic store this week and picked up 20 issues of Tom King's run from the latest Batman run for 20 bucks. It was a great cop, you know, a bunch of old issues for 20 bucks. Can't beat it. And so I got to read it through, you know, that whole run. And it this section of it, the actual run is going to be 100 issues long. That's Tom King's plan run on Batman. And I was actually talking with a friend of mine once, and he was like, you know, if you need 100 issues to talk about Batman, maybe you could, you know, edit that down a bit. But I so far have really enjoyed, you know, the majority of it, and we're approaching issue 50, so we're approaching the halfway point, and I've really enjoyed Tom King's run on Batman. I can't be mad at it. Like, the 20 issues I bought were, like, the War of Jokes and Riddles. That whole section was in there, which was... A part of Batman's history where the Joker and the Riddler go to war over who gets to kill the Batman. And it's a really interesting breakdown of both Batman and Joker. It has one of the illest issues to me of comics this year, or I think it was last year when it dropped, is the dinner where Bruce Wayne invites the 
Joker and the Riddler to dinner so he can try and hash out their differences and decide who actually gets to kill Batman. And, you know, Tom's just been killing on it. But my question, Jeff, I know you've been reading this series as well. And is it that Tom King is making Batman out to be kind of like even more ruthless and more of an asshole while also exploring this whole love story that he's going on with Catwoman? Well, I think I think it's not more so that he's making him ruthless. He's mm -hmm. showing him he's showing you how he's grown mm. by showing you his past and showing you his future. And he's using different characters to accentuate these qualities that make Batman who he is. And I mm. think that's what defines Tom King's run to date. When you get to the to, to the Superman issues. When he's with Superman. Oh, man. About, bro, I haven't seen Superman written like that before. Yeah. yeah. And the main idea of his arc with Batman and Superman are that at their core, they're the same character. But mm -hmm. they just had divergent paths that made them different. But at their core, put it to you like this. That, that arc with Superman makes the whole Martha thing from Batman versus Superman it actually makes it matter, uh, which is which is kind of crazy to think about it. Where it doesn't seem as as contrived as it did in the movie, but he would be the type to make that matter in a way where you're like, "Wow!" He actually does in a way tie it, tie their tie what makes them, what makes Batman Batman, what makes Superman Superman, and why are they the world's finest? Like why why are Batman and Superman best friends? How? Mm -hmm. Like if you ever ask how those four books, or the I think it's a two-part arc or two or four-part arc, I can't remember, but that arc defines it. And you 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 rarely have seen them dive into Batman's love interest other than superficial and like why the hell would he fall for Catwoman? What in their history? What in their history makes them compatible? You see that through through, through their saga. You get different aspects of his villains that you different parts of their personality. His Joker is wild complex. Like his Joker ain't even for the jokes. No. He has a Joker who can't laugh. Yeah. Cuz he's over the jokes. Like yeah. the it's crazy it's crazy to think about it. And that's what makes his run so far so unique, man. Cuz every Batman from Morrison to Scott Snyder, they've they've all had their thing about Batman, right? So mm -hmm. it's like Grant Morrison had the mythos. Scott Snyder was more about Gotham <coughs> and the city of Gotham and how that impacted Batman. And this is what makes Batman Batman. Like you, you get that from all of them, but this one is it's diving into what makes these characters matter. What are the aspects that you haven't seen yet? And it's just, it's just and he's just. Dude, he's just it it infuriates me how good he is writing. Bruh, trust me. Uh, you know, I'm over here working on these scripts and Tom King, like I even tweeted him when I bought him. I was like, you know, 20 issues. That'll make me feel more inadequate about everything I'm writing right now. <laughs> and like you said, it's really interesting because like Scott Snyder just did his whole year run, I mean year one run, which I think they're turning into an animated movie, which explored Batman's history. And I know Grant Morrison did a little of that in his run. And now, you know, in the war of jokes and riddles, it's like every writer always wants to do their take on the origin of Batman or how he first really became Batman. Like, you know, after, you know, like in one part of that Superman thing, he was talking about how 
a year ago I was kicking trees, you know, like I was still training a year ago and now I'm standing next to a man from Krypton. Right. So, you know, it's interesting to see that. But like you said, the main core is, is on issue 50 is going to be the wedding of Batman and Catwoman. But he's going all the way to issue 100 with this. And he says the whole issue, all 100 issues is about this love story between Batman and Catwoman. And that's been one of the most interesting parts, because like you said, while other writers have had Batman have, you know, serious love interests, no one has ever had him do something like this, where they really go into why he would really be attracted to someone like Catwoman, why she would be attracted to him, why their love has always been this weird thing that you've always seen throughout the comics and even in the films. And I'm loving it so far. Like you said, I'm so mad at Tom King. Every time I tweet about him, he always likes it. When I say he's going to come on the show or ask him to come on the show, silence from that man. But <laughs> if you haven't read Batman, make sure you're picking it up. Also, check out Omega Man. I tell everybody about this because everyone talks about his run on The Vision, which is also one of my favorite books of all time. But yeah. Omega Man is one that people don't know about as much. And he wrote that. It was one of his first books he actually wrote. It's 12 issues. You can get the graphic novel. It's all 12 issues collected. And it's just such an ill story with these really obscure ass characters from the DC universe. And he just mates them his own and just tells this ill dope story in 12 issues. So make sure you check that out as well. I mean, anything by him, Sheriff of Babylon, Mr. Miracle, the dude is on fire. He's just a dope ass writer. One of these days he's going to reply to these tweets and come on the show. Tom King TK is his handle, you know, comics like cop, let him know. We'd love him to have him on fan show at any time. Yeah, send him those ads. Let him know, like, yo, you need to be on Fan Bros. Maybe he'll he'll sub us in a Batman book, and maybe the fan the Fan Bros versions of us in the book will try to get him on a show, and they will fail too. Yo. Make sure he knows he needs to be on this. We don't bite; we're gentle, and we give you the best damn interview you're going to get. So, Tom, don't front. I mean, you've already heard it. You know, you heard the Boots Riley interview on this one. Make sure you're subscribed to us on all those different things, YouTube, iTunes, all those places. Like I said, we got something really big. Thank you to for everyone using that comics like cop hashtag because we got huge things. I can just say a little bit about it right now. We're going to be doing something really big with comicsology. That's right. You heard it. Comicsology times comics like cop. It's going down, going down. More information on that next week's show. Make sure you're subscribed. So you can get this info because you need it in your life. Big things going on with the website, fanbros.com. I know you've been seeing all the articles, but it is some major changes. You know, as we go into the summer, fall year, it's, you know, 2018, it's lit. It's going to be crazy. Jeff, anything else, anything else before we get out of here? I mean, you see what we're doing here, Comics.com, Comicsology. Why do you think we don't need to get paid for reviews? <laughs> we got sponsors, my G. The price is up. We're like the Dow Jones, and we are unaffected by the market because we are the market. So get out my mentions talking about I am bought. I am not bought. I am paid for. There's a difference. Fan pros, fan pros. Fan pros. Fan pros. Fan pros.